Good morning, church. Open your copy of God's Word, 2 Corinthians 5. We are landing in this part three of this series, All Things New, and we are going to be looking at verses 11 through 21. Today's message is this, all new motivation, all new motivation, motivation matters. Motivation matters. Somebody say motivation matters. And as you are getting motivated maybe for a new year and you're thinking about maybe what drives you, this is going to be a great day to step back and just ask the question, why do I do what I do? What is driving me? Why am I making the decisions I am? What's going on in my heart? What's going on in my mind? And maybe not just from last year, not just an annual assessment, but maybe for a long time, Things have been driving you that shouldn't. Maybe there's things that you do that are even good things on the surface, but what's happening under the hood is not so great. And we want to just ask the questions from God's perspective, what should motivate me? What should motivate me? So what motivates you really as we get started? And here, here's some of the bad news. Everybody ready for bad news? Are you ready? Can you handle it? Can you handle it? We, we have to be really honest. If you think your motives are pure, think again. Because anywhere that you search the Scriptures about the heart of man and the desires of human beings, guess, guess what you see page after page? That everybody's basically good? Uh, that, that all of us basically want to do the right thing for the right reasons. Is that what we find from God's Word? Uh, nope. Far from it, in fact. You see page after page of people doing the wrong things with the wrong motives. We see people doing the right things, but with the wrong motives. We see people convinced that their motives are pure until God shines light and exposes that their motives were wrong the whole time, even though they were convinced that they were doing the right things for the right reason. Somebody say that's a problem. We, we have a big problem. We have a big problem. But God makes all things new. Do you know what He does? He, he gives us a new heart. He gives us the, the power to be able to discern even what's going on in our hearts. He helps us to help others to be able to discern motives and to be able to ask the heart questions why we do what we do. And so let's get low before the Lord because this is, this is a supernatural work that God has to do of doing business in, in our own hearts of what's driving us, what's motivating us. And if He's making all things new, it's not just new stuff that we do. It's not just New Year's resolutions and being resolved to do the right thing. He's willing to go all the way to our hearts and help us to change from the inside out. And He can do it. And He wants to. We are looking at motivations. And if we believe this, if we believe that that God is in the business of saving, rescuing. He is in the business of setting us free. That's what He's been doing throughout history. He's been taking stubborn rebels and He's been turning them. Turning them to be faithful followers, submissive disciples, those that hear and do, those that have a heart to want to obey, to listen to His voice, and to move in action. And do you know what happens? when we are born again, when we become Christians, when we surrender our life to Jesus, He starts working on our hearts. And this is one area that Paul goes. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth is an absolute mess. Absolute chaos everywhere. 
The city is in chaos. Everybody's having sex with everybody. Everybody's hurting. Everybody, everybody is constantly at each other. Everybody's using each other. And guess what? The church was not much different. That's a problem. And Paul did not give up. He did not write them off. He started this church and he wanted to see them through to go from old to new. And not just in selective areas of their life, but every single area, all, 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 all things new. All things new. So if you're taking notes, let's write this down. I am now motivated, if I'm a Christ follower, I'm now motivated by the fear of the Lord. That is so different than the old way. The fear of the Lord. What's up with the fear of the Lord? Well, let's look at verse 11. Everybody ready? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11. Therefore, and every time you see therefore, you better ask, what's the therefore? Therefore, and he's referencing verses 1 through 10, and he's saying, therefore, moving forward, well, what did we look at the past weeks? Well, over the past weeks, we've looked at everything from, we're just camping here. This isn't our home. We're in this rickety old tent, and there's a mansion waiting. And in the meantime, we're not trying to build our thing here. We're living for another world. We're living for heaven. And then we just ask the question about the burdens, the longings that are on our heart. And there are things that are in us that will not be fulfilled and satisfied in the here and now because we were not made to experience fulfillment in a fallen world. We were made to experience all the fullness of joy when we see Jesus face to face. We will be satisfied. And in the meantime, we are struggling along. We are wondering why, why, why. But we remember, if we're really following Jesus, this is to be expected. The longings are to be normal. We will not be satisfied horizontally because we are created for what satisfies vertically. And then he continues on. He says, we are full of courage. We are full of passion to move forward because God is giving us a courageous spirit that's so different than our intimidated, anxious, depressed, cowardly spirit here in the flesh. He now gives us a heavenly spirit. The Holy Spirit comes down and dwells us. Pretty soon we're infused and we're living out of this new boldness, this new courage. Are you experiencing that at all? He says, if the Holy Spirit has done all this and God the Father has made this to be so, and if Jesus came to fulfill it all, he says, therefore, therefore what? Knowing the fear of the Lord. Only God's people know the fear of the Lord. And from the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it's known also to your conscience. Paul says, I really hope, church, I hope that it's known not just to God, but that God's doing something in your mind, in your heart, that there is a work that, that you're beginning to understand who the new you really is. And where does it start? He says this, the fear of the Lord. And, and if, we, if we get some notes, get some cliff notes from the wisest man who had ever lived, Solomon, we know from the book of Proverbs that wisdom starts where? Starts with the fear of the Lord. You are a fool if you have never experienced the sober, reverent reality of living in the sight of a holy God. You are going to become wise the closer you get to a reverential passion of being at the feet of a really horrifyingly holy God that brings judgment ultimately. When you know that He sees all and He's keeping record of all, this isn't a Santa Claus thing of creeper knowing when you're naughty and nice. We're talking about the God that created you. He knows you intimately. Even the things that you think you can hide from everybody else, 
He's there. He's present. And we're going to give an account. I, I hope that you live with a level of sobriety knowing, my God, that I'm, that I'm going to stand before He knows and He sees. And I need to live in light of that day, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord isn't, I'm really scared to see Him. It's not that. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not that. Let Him know. It's not that. It's not, I'm, I'm scared of God. He's a scary, scary man. We're talking about, I fear disappointing God. I fear not pleasing Him even if I please everybody else. And for many of us, that's totally different. Some of us are chronic people pleasers. Anybody in the house? Well, what are they going to say and what are they going to think of me? And I can't say that and I can't do that because they might think and they might do and what if I'm rejected and what if they don't approve of me? And fear of man comes easy. Fear of the Lord is something very, very different altogether. The more that we recognize that we don't have to care what other people think, that we live for an audience of one, everything changes. Everything. Everything changes. Has that changed for you? Or are you still addicted to approval? Must you be liked? Must you never be judged and rejected? Must you never have anybody call you out or criticize you or give you feedback because you can't handle it? Must you have certain people approve of you? Must you impress a certain group of people? Are there family members and coworkers that you have to posture and play and portray with a mask in order to be liked and accepted? God sets you free from that. It's called the fear of the Lord. When you are walking in this newness, and this is new, this is very, very new, everything changes about your attitude towards your relationships. I wonder if that shift has happened for you. Or maybe 2024 could be the year that you say, I quit! I'm done! And you say, I am so over making sure that everybody views me a certain way and that I keep my reputation. I'm so done with that. I don't give a rip anymore. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I just want to please God. I just want to please God. I make it my aim, we saw last week, to please the Lord. If God is happy and everybody else is miserable, I'm happy. If everybody is satisfied with me and impressed with me, but God's not, I should be miserable. Has that happened to you? Is God doing a work in your heart where fear of the Lord, this is changing you? John Murray, a pastor and theologian of old, said this, the highest reaches of sanctification. He's saying the, the, the greatest pursuits of your transformation and change in life are only going to be realized in the fear of the Lord. When you can seek to please God and persuade people, or, somebody say or, or you will seek to please people, try to persuade God, but you can't do both. I wonder if this is a year of you choosing. Which path am I going to take? Which road? Which lane? Do I need to change lanes? Because for far too long, I've been trying to convince God of my plans while I'm trying to make sure everybody is satisfied and happy with me. And the reality is God created you to please Him and allow Him to take care of all the rest. You will not be able to live with peace in your life when there is constant turmoil of everybody's expectations and your major letdowns on them. I don't know who you're trying to impress right now. I don't know whose eye you're trying to catch. I don't know what plans you have for future friendships, relationships, job opportunities. I don't know what your pursuits are, but I can almost guarantee intertwined with all of your goals and pursuits is some level of, I wonder what they think. I wonder what they're saying. I wonder when I leave what their attitude towards me. I wonder 
if I can just get in with the right people and the benefits that come my way, if I ensure that I am liked, I am accepted. Do you know that this isn't just a teenager issue? You know, it's not just a fad, right? Do you know what happens after all the teenage years of rejection and clicks and all of the buddy systems and the 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 breakups and all of the dating and trying to find the one and trying to find affirmation and acceptance with a group of people. Do you know what happens? We become really old teenagers and into our 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s, we're still battling with when will I be accepted by my mom? When will my dad finally affirm me? When will my coworkers, when will my boss, when will my friends, when will my spouse, when will my kids, when, when, when will they see me, love me? When will they praise me? When will they thank me? When will I finally be accepted? People go to their graves not knowing about the fear of the Lord, but they're obsessed with the fear of man. And that's a wasted life. And what if in a moment you could just say, God, change me. Set me free because that's bondage. And this would be one of the first, if God is making all things new, this is new. This is different. This is changing. I'm now motivated by God's command and God's call, I am no longer living in constant fear of what others think or might say. This is freedom. Galatians 1.10, Paul says this, for I am now seeking, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Which one? Which one? Paul's like, um, I think it's pretty clear. Am I trying to please man? If I, if I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul lays it all out. If you are going to be a servant of Christ, and he's saying, I'm a servant of Christ. I gave up on the whole people-pleasing because I can't serve two masters. I only can serve one, and this is it. Jesus alone, he's the boss. I'm seeking to please him. And so I live for the audience of one. If I'm going to be motivated with a godly heart and a godly motivation, it's got to start here. God, I am more concerned about pleasing you. God, may this year be a year that I make it my aim. I want to please God, no matter the cost, no matter what people say, no matter the rejection, no matter the persecution that's going to come. And that's where we're going right now. Here we go. I am now motivated by, if you're taking notes, the relentless opposition. What? How in the world am I going to be motivated by opposition? How is the bad stuff coming my way going to change my motives? How is this going to compel me anywhere that's good? Well, talk to us, Paul. Help us out. Verse 12. We are not, somebody say not, 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 not. Paul says, we're not commending ourselves to you again. We're we're not trying to talk about us and boast on us. We're not trying to commend us to you, but giving you cause to boast about us. Hmm? He says, just watch our lives. And there's something that you can tell your friends about that you know a group of people that are living so radically different. Why? So that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance. Anybody know anybody like that? We're surrounded with people that boast about outward appearance and outward accomplishments. Paul's like, may we be an example. And he's talking about him and his posse of disciple-making missionaries. He's saying, guess what? We're living for something so very different. Look at us. Watch our lives. If you're looking for something to boast about in this world, don't boast about all the stuff your friends do. Boast about the God that you know and that you're following and that you're fearless in opposition. I don't know what you're facing, but Paul was being tortured, chased. He died a few times. He knows about opposition. He knows about persecution. And he didn't say, avoid it, run away from it, make sure that people don't treat you that way. Stand up for yourself. 
He said, it's good and let it motivate you. Here we go. Not about appearance, but what? What's, it, what's in the heart? Verse 13, for if we are beside ourselves, in other words, in the Greek it's, if we're out of our minds, if everybody thinks we're crazy, and anybody ashamed of being the Jesus freak? Oh, there's the Jesus freak walking in. Oh, here we go. Mr. Holier than thou. Holy roller. Oh, church man. Oh, the church lady just walked in. Yeah. You got a problem? You think I'm crazy? I'm the only one in my right mind. And he said, even if we're accused of being beside ourselves, outside of our own minds, what are we doing it for? Somebody say motive. What's the motive? It's for God. Why am I all in, completely sold out, surrendered to the will of God? Why am I doing this church stuff, this ministry stuff? Why am I willing to give up all the financial gain and all of the success and the confirmation from everybody else to do this crazy Jesus freak thing? It's God. My motive is, it's all about Him. No matter what you say, I'm with Him. And if we're in our right mind, (laughs) He says, tongue-in-cheek, if we're in our right mind, it's for you, all right? We may be a little crazy overboard with Jesus, but anywhere that we're giving you sound advice and counsel, right? We're doing this for God. We're doing this for you. And one of the motives that we have oftentimes is, how can I go through my life where I'm just loved and accepted? I just want to be happy. I just want to be comfortable. I just, I just want a group of people that will never fail me. I just need the one. Anybody need the one? The gospel according to Disney. Follow your heart and you will find the one. I just need that. And you know what God tells us? What you need more than anything is for your motives to be purified. And pure motives come when people despise you, hate you, mistreat you, and oppose you. When they reject you and attack you for Christ's sake. God's more concerned about pure motives, not about your comfort and your ease and you being loved and accepted. Paul was adamant about this. That he says, it doesn't matter what people think. If we've gone too far and we're overboard, then guess what? It's all about God. It's for His glory. There is no shame here. Relentless opposition purifies motives. And so what if, everybody with me so far? What what if 2024, because either either this is prophetic or pathetic, you get to choose by the end of the year, but what if 2024 is a year where you are going to experience rejection, doing anything, taking steps towards Christ. You are going to experience rejection and opposition, and everything inside of you is going to look to run. And you're going to look to escape. And you're going to look to to run back to what's comfortable and safe. I never should have gotten involved with this whole church thing and this Jesus thing. I knew I never should have gotten too serious about it. I knew that I shouldn't have got close to the church. I knew that I shouldn't have taken these steps. It was scary. I was already insecure and nervous, and I just stepped out. And look, look what happened. I gave my life to Christ. I got baptized in 2024, and what happened? I lost my friends. My family fell apart. I lost my job. Where am I at financially? Where am I at with my love life? If you would just pause in those moments and say, I was told this was going to happen, that opposition was going to come, that people were going to talk, that things were going to be removed because God's so passionate about pursuing my heart and changing me. 
my comfort is not changing me to become more like Jesus. Anybody, anybody agree with that? My health and my wealth might just be the greatest opposition to Christ's likeness. My little dynasty, my little kingdom of one might just be the greatest threat to me experiencing freedom in Christ. You can't have both. And so what if today would be a day you would say, I choose Jesus. No matter what comes, no matter the opposition, no matter how hard it gets, I was warned about this. It was going to get worse, not better, but I get more of him and it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth giving up. It's worth being talked about. It's worth being identified as out of your mind for Jesus. Think about this. Soldiers are never more energized than when the enemy is approaching. How effective a soldier is when he is sleeping at peacetime. There's something about the heightened awareness that when opposition comes, it puts us in a strategic posture to be able to be alert and ready and prepared to move forward and advance. And gone are the glory days of our nation being a Christian nation, if it ever was. We're not there and we're not going back. We are the enemy to the system. Opposition is a reality. I'm about to go to Nigeria in a couple days. Just less than an hour from where we're going to be, 140 Christians were slaughtered and thousands scattered out of their homes and villages to find safety. And we're going to be down the road from what just happened over Christmas. When Christians are gathering in places where their lives are being threatened, where their jobs are being threatened, when their livelihood is being threatened, something happens of awake, alert, engaged, full commitment. What if God wants to wake up His church and the greatest gift He can give the church is persecution. And I would say, may it be so. Bring it on. If it purifies the church and it brings us great boldness, but we need to do this together. We fight together. How about this? How about this? I am now motivated by not just the fear of the Lord, not just relentless opposition. What else would drive me to be able to experience all things new and follow Jesus in obedience? Number three, if you're taking notes, the love of Jesus. His love. Do you think we often assume that? God loves you. God loves you. Slap a bumper sticker on it. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Does that mean anything anymore? The love of God. What did the love of God do for Paul? Paul is calling the church here and he's saying in verse 14, are you with me? Verse 14, for the love of Christ controls, it compels, literally it grabs hold and it launches, it catapults us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Jesus died for all. Amen? Amen? There is one that laid down his life for all. Therefore, the clarity is, all are dead. All have died. The reason that Jesus had to lay down his life for everybody is because everybody's dead in sin. There's not one that is good. We are all bad, and we need a good one to come and lay down his life for us. This love of Christ catapults us. Verse 15, he died for all. Why? 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 Somebody ask why. Why? Why would he do that? Why would God himself come and die? Why would he do that? Have you asked that question? Do you have answers? I hope you have answers. Do you have answers? You have answers? You just keep reading, right? The love of Christ. What does it do to us? That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for him who for their sake died and was raised. The love of Christ does something. 
The love of Christ is to be observed as you read through the Gospels. I'm going through the Gospels right now. Do you have a reading plan? Do you have a reading plan? We have reading plans out in the lobby. You better be in the Word. 2024, no Word, no power, no future, no hope. The Word. Is it in you? As I'm going through Luke, I'm going through the Gospels. Guess what? Spending time watching Jesus, listening carefully, seeing His responses. How is He going to speak in this situation? How is He going to treat people differently depending on what their actual need is? How does he talk to one group so different than another? As you watch Jesus, you see love looks very different as you go through life. And do you know what? what's at the heart of Jesus' ability to love sacrificially and meet people right where they're at? He was willing to lay down his life for them, to die for them. Love compelled him to leave heaven and come. How did he live? He lived in a way that was absolute selfless surrender. And I don't, I don't know if you have been reminded of this. Everybody look up here. Look up here. If the Jesus that you say you follow, I'm not assuming everybody's a Christian, okay? So the handful of us that, are, that said yes to Jesus, if we follow in His footsteps, do you know what that's going to cost us? It's going to cost us following with a love that lays down life. Does that describe your relationships? The love of God catapults us into the mess of other people. Think right now, who's the messiest person in your life? Don't point. Don't point. Alright? Come on. Come on. No elbows. No elbows. Alright? Who is the most prickly, most resistant, most stubborn, most messiest of all messes in your life? And here, here's the bottom line. The love of Jesus said, you're like that. And He laid down His life for you. So what's the call on a daily basis as you interact with really difficult people? You don't have what it takes inside of you by yourself to love very well. You have about a thimble full of love and then you're spent. I'm done. It's my whole arsenal. Bloop. few drops, that's all you got. And then you're like, I'm on E. I'm out. I'm out. If you know Jesus personally, you are filled with His love. He is pouring it out for the purpose of you pouring it out on the people around you. I don't know what 2023 was like, but I got a feeling if we talked long enough, you would tell me stories of, man, I gave so much and I, and I was just willing to just go all the way for them and this is what I got. That's what happens when you try to love people. Blech. Do you know the love of Christ? I try so hard to meet people where they're at and love them, but they're so difficult they don't want it and therefore I'm done with them. I wrote people off last year. Not talking to them. Unfriend, 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 unfriend. Do you know the love of Christ? Because we were all unfriended. We were, we were hanging out with Satan. We were under his hypnosis. And one by one, we're being plucked out of the fires of hell because love compels us because we know the love of Christ and what He did for us. Do you know Him? Because if you know Him, it's going to be evident in the relationships you have with other people. He catapults us into the lives of the mess. Up to our elbows in the sludge of people's drama and their brokenness and their problems. And He goes, that's right where you're supposed to be. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are jumping in head first into that mess because you are the hope of the world. You have Christ. You have the Gospel. 
Who else is going to go? Who else is going to tell? It's you. That's why you're strategically placed. Not to run away and hide, to dive in. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about you. His love set you free from the love of you. You're free. And I wonder if this year you could say, God, free me more. Increase my capacity because you're catapulting me into really messy places. But have you had this blood transfusion where the blood of Christ is now pulsating through your veins? There is a love you didn't have before. There is a love for people that are so unlovable. And the only explanation you have is, I'm real. I'm really a Christian. I can't believe that I'm patient because that's not me. His love is in me. I can't believe that I have come so far in being kind and gentle. I'm growing because His love is in me. Is His love pulsating through your veins? Have you been made new? And if so, His love's going to show up and spill out in your relationships, even to the hardest ones. That's new. Somebody say, that's new. That's new because love changes us. Selfish to selfless. That's what Jesus does. Has the change happened for you? Has there been a time in your life where you're like, I know that something changed? Because before that, I was arrogant. I was selfish. I was isolated. I was protecting number one, looking out for me. Wasn't going to be hurt again. Wasn't going to be taken advantage again. And all of a sudden, something changed. I got a new heart. I have a new love. The only explanation is, it's Him. It's Him. I know Him. And He's working through me. And how about this? Number four, if I'm changed, all things are becoming new, I'm now motivated by this. The power of regeneration. Verses 16 and 17. Regen a what? Okay, okay, we'll get there, all right? We'll, we'll, we'll clarify some terms, all right? Glossary time. It's coming your way. For now on, from now on, therefore, what do, what do we do for now on? What, what happens next? We regard no one according to the flesh. We don't look at people according to the exterior, the outside. We don't, we don't judge people the same. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, do you remember a time when you were like, Jesus, bleh, church, boring. I regarded Christ according to the flesh. Lame, lame, lame. That's for old women, not for me. Church thing. Yeah, you can do your little prayer stuff. That's cute. Because I regarded Christ according to the flesh. I was looking through flesh glasses. I was thinking according to my old way, but, but it changed. Paul's like, we're not like that anymore. We regard him thus no longer. Everything has changed. Therefore, here it is. I don't know if you've memorized this, but it is God's will for you to memorize verse 17 this year, right? 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a, somebody say it, he's a new creation. He's a new creation. He, she, they are new. The old has passed away. Literally, the old is passing away. It's fading away. It's going away. Behold, somebody say, check it out. The new has come. It's coming. It has come and it is coming. Well, when am I going to change? And when are things going to be different? The old is passing away. Somebody say that's good news. Because for many of us, we obsess over our past, our failures, the shame that's there, the things that we have done, the regret we have, the things that have been done to us, and we can't let go. We can't let go. We can't let go. 2024 has to be a year that we say, it's going. The old things have to die. In your home, if you are still bringing things up from the years past, you need to repent. It needs to go. You need to stop rehashing and rehearsing and accusing. 
it's got to go. We've got to start thinking about ourselves first of, if I'm new, then God is making those things to slowly fade in my memory as I pursue what's coming next. He's making new things happen. Things that are outside of my control. Things that are supernatural. Things that I don't think are possible, but the old has to go if the new is going to come. They can't coexist. Put off, put on. Put off, put on. Take the dirty, stinking clothes off. Get yourself a wash from Jesus. Get cleansed and put the new ones on and live in them. It's time for the new. I don't know what you're still holding on to, but in a room this size, we could spend a while talking about the things that we're still meditating on and rehearsing and we still have spinning in our minds. But you did, but you did, but you did. I'll never forget. I'll never forget. I'll never forgive you. I'll never forgive you. If you're a new creation, out of your mouth, all year long should be, I forgive you. And I'm choosing to forget over time. I'm choosing not to bring it up any longer. I'm not going to throw that in your face. I'm not going to dangle that over you. I'm not going to blackmail you with your past anymore because Jesus is not doing that to me. When the Father looks at me, He sees the Son and He's pleased. Nothing from my past is being brought up other than out of the mouth of Satan. So here's a question. If the old really is going to go, then you need to ask the question, am I using my mouth as a mouthpiece of Satan? Am I a puppet in Satan's hand being used as a weapon to attack other people? Because that's not from God. And if I'm going to move forward, I need to stop rehearsing. I need to stop looking through the old pictures and the old videos that run through my mind of everything that happened. And I need to say, all new. It's all new. It's all new. I hope that's you thinking about the power of regeneration. What is regeneration? I'm glad you asked. Like, I love that we have power from that regeneration thing, whatever that is. All right, regeneration. What in the world is regeneration? We got a definition. Do you have a definition? Here we go. Regeneration, it's a secret act of God in which He imparts new spiritual life to us. Born again. New life and new birth. Regeneration. What was dead is now alive. That's what God does. Has He done that for you? Have you been made brand new? If you are not born again, you are still living in sin. You're still dead. You're going to stand face to face with God and give an account. And either it's going to be, I don't know you, or well done. And the only people He's saying well done to are those that have been regenerate. Those that have been made new. Is that you? Titus 3, 4 and 5. If you want to jot that address down, Titus 3, 4 and 5. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Isn't that awesome? When the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, what did a good and loving and kind God do when He appeared? He saved us. He saved us. That's what He does. Not because of works. Somebody say, it's not that. It's not that. It's not works. I'm not a pretty good person. I'm not trying to work harder. I'm not trying to clean up my life. Not that. Not that. Not that. It's not by works done by us in righteousness. But, somebody say but. There we go. According to His own mercy. According to His mercy. He's merciful. He's full of mercy. I don't know what you're full of. I'm sure other people have some opinions about what you're full of. But God is full of mercy. He's filled to the brim to overflow with mercy. He is kind. He is good. He is loving. And what does He do? It says, by the washing of, here it is, regeneration. He washed us clean to life and renewal by the Holy Spirit. All things new. 
All things new. Somebody say all things new. All things new. But it starts with that moment of I was made new in a moment by faith from a merciful God that met me right where I was at. I said yes. I surrendered. I submitted. I asked for forgiveness. He cleansed me. He washed me in a moment. He made me new in a moment. And now we live out of what we already are. And so the question is, have you had that moment? And if so, are you living in light of it? Is there evidence that you didn't just start, but that you're continuing? Are you being made new? Well, let's look at a couple of before and afters we have up on the screen. And you might have this in your notes. Do you have it in your notes? In your notes? Everybody say yes or no. I don't know if you have it. Do you have it? Do you have it? Okay, we'll go through it quick because you, you have it already, all right? So before, this is the this is the before Jesus, all right? The BC days, before Christ. Spiritually dead, heart of stone, child of wrath, enemy of God, filthy in sin, rejected as an orphan, godless and self-consumed, separated from God. That was all of us. Turn to your neighbor and say, that was you. All right? That, that's not even a point of judgment. That's not even condemnation. That's just the truth, all right? That's why you come to church, right? Just don't, Please don't lie to me. Don't lie to me. Just tell me the truth. That That is who you were. And for some of us, that might still be who we are unless, unless we have been cleansed, unless we have been washed, unless we have come to Christ and said, I'm in. Yes, make me alive. I'm dead. Make me to see. I'm blind. Change me. I believe. I believe. And what happens after? What happens after regeneration? Something very different. You become spiritually alive. You have, now have a heart of flesh. You are a child of God. You're a friend of God. Completely cleansed. Adopted child of God. You're adopted. No longer rejected. Adopted. No longer alone. You are with Him. You're part of the family. You're God-loving and self-sacrificial. You're reconciled to God. You may not currently be reconciled, to all of your family members. You may not be reconciled to many old friends that you had falling out. But the most important relationship that you need to ask is, am I reconciled to God? We were enemies. Are we now friends? We were cut off, separated. Have we been brought back together? Has that happened to you? Where I know I didn't care, I ignored, I rejected, but now I'm with Him. We're together. Somebody say, that's awesome. That's awesome. If that's true of you, if that's true of you, that everything has become new. All things new. It's new. Now I'm motivated by this. You ready? Ready? I'm motivated by grace. I don't know about you, but law is not a great motivator. I'm not motivated by a whole bunch of rules and laws. God made for His people now to be motivated by grace. Grace motivates the grace of reconciliation. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and, somebody say and, oh, there's more, there's more. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He didn't just reconcile us. He actually equips and sends us, commissions us. We now have a ministry. Do you know who's in ministry? Do you know who's in ministry? If you have experienced the new birth, if you're a follower of Christ, you are in ministry. Well, it's not like I'm, like I'm not on stage or like I don't speak and I, I don't do it. You're in ministry. And you're not just in ministry on Sunday morning and you're not just doing a little bit here and there. God is calling you to what? A, a lifestyle, a whole, every area of life, ministry of, here it is, reconciliation. Well, it's none of my business and if people are fighting and divided and, and I don't want to get sucked into that and it's none of my business, none of my business, just staying out of it. Maybe you used to think that way until you recognize this. If I'm a Christian, I am called to go and help people be reconciled. It's my business. 
because it's my ministry. People that are severed from the living God, I am called to bring them close. Who's going to do it? You are. Guess what? It's not my job. You know what the job of the pastor is? To equip you to go do your ministry of reconciliation. It's everybody's call. Verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself. Did He have to do that? No. Could have been like, forget y'all. You don't want me, I don't want you. All right. He made it His pursuit to reconcile the whole world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. This is really good news. There are no more outstanding warrants for your arrest. You can stand before the judge and there is no rap sheet. Nobody's looking for you. You have not broken the law in a way that there is a record remaining any longer because something has happened with all of your badness and all of your record of breaking God's law. Do you know what happened to it? He says, I'm not holding it against my people anymore. I'm not going to hold it against my children. It's done. It's done. It's done. What did he do? On the cross, all of that was laid on Jesus. He's never going to bring it up again. He's never going to accuse. He's never going to throw anything in your face. He's not going to hold it against his people, those that trust in him. And what does he do? He's entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Anybody think that's kind of a tall order? Like God's like, I'm entrusting this to you. What? What? To, to me? Do you know me? Do you know me? Like, I can't even get up on time. And you're going to entrust me? I forget to brush my teeth sometimes. I forgot to shower for three days. Like, you're going to entrust me with a ministry of reconciliation, right? I can't even do the basic things. I can't hold a job and you're telling me that I'm supposed to go out and be entrusted by the God of the universe with a ministry. Yeah, because he's really impressed with his power, not your ability. God's really impressed with his faithfulness, not yours. God is so sovereign, so in control that he can use your flops and failures and mess-ups in trying to just spread the message and trying to seek people and do it pretty poorly and he can overcome all that. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? But he's calling you to participate, to go, to be entrusted with this message. What does verse 20 say? Therefore, there's another therefore. Man, there's therefores everywhere. Oh, Paul, you're on a roll. Therefore, therefore, therefore. What is now true? We are ambassadors of Christ. God is making His appeal. How is God making His appeal? Through, through us. Well, if, if God wanted to get a message across, why wouldn't He just do it Himself? Because He chooses to use His church. He chooses to use His people. He wants to rally His people to be part of this ministry of spreading the good news. He's entrusting to us as ambassadors. We represent the King. People can't see the King of the universe but they can see us. They're not hearing audible voices from God, but they're hearing our voice. How is God making His appeal to people? Through you. The question is, are you speaking up or shutting up? Are you obedient or disobedient? Are you making a mess and getting in the way? Or are you accurately representing, as an ambassador does, the one that they don't meet with, but they're meeting with you? Are you doing your part? And what if this year could be a year that you would just say, I haven't been, but that's about to change. My old ways are not representing him so well. I was a poor representative. I lied to people about what God was like by my lifestyle, my attitude, my choices. But this year, I am turning away from the old because God's making all things 
new. I, I hope that's your heart. And all this, it's from God. It's from God. He gave us this ministry. We are ambassadors if we are Christian. I hope you feel the weight of that. God could have written stuff in the sky. He could have audibly just spoke to everybody. But He said, I want to use you. I want to change people's eternity. And I want you to speak up for me, God says. I don't know about you, but that's pretty wild. Who am I? And I don't know what you're resistant about and what excuses you're making, but God is bigger than all of your immaturity. He's bigger than your past failures. He's bigger than all of the things that you get in the way of His message being delivered as He's changing you. But we have to start somewhere. And what if this year would be the first year that you would say, God, send me wherever. God, I just want to open my mouth and I want to just say what you said. I want to accurately represent you. So anything that is getting in the way, it's got to go. It's old. It's old. It's old. All things new. The message needs to be heard. People need to be rescued and reconciled. And here we have last. Somebody say, land the plane. I know y'all are excited. Here we go. 21. What else motivates? I mean, I'm motivated by grace. But here's a big one. I'm motivated by the great exchange. The great exchange. What in the world is the great exchange? Are we exchanging something? What are we exchanging exactly? Well, here in verse 21, and this is such a powerhouse verse as the worship team comes up, I want us to consider this. For our sake, He made Him, Jesus, somebody say Jesus, God made Jesus to be sin, but He didn't know any sin. He never committed sin. So that in Him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Somebody say, wow. So you're saying the perfect one is offering his perfection and the perfect one is going to take in exchange for his perfection all of my junk, all my trash, all my garbage. He's going to take the, the sewer system of all of my deposits and he's going to give me all of his riches in place. Who would do that? And could we clarify? Our God would. The one true living God, that's what he does. If you want to look up on the screen, I know there's going to be a lot, of, a lot of info here. But as we think about the great exchange, God demands that we be holy and without sin. So we got to be plus holy, minus sin. Anybody qualify? That's bad news, right? I, I have no holiness in myself, and I am not without sin. But that's the standard. In order to have life, that's what the entry fee is. And none of us can pay. But then... God sees we're not holy and we have sin, so we are minus the holiness and we are plus the sin. What does that equal? Let's work out the equation. Death. If I want life, I need to do something I can't do. The only thing I deserve is death. And here's the great exchange. God is holy and He gives me His goodness, His righteousness, and He says, here, you can have it all. In exchange, could I have all of your badness, all of your failures, and all of your sin? That's not fair. And we complain a lot about what's not fair. You know what? This is not fair. This is not fair. You can never complain about your life being unfair. Do you know what's unfair? God sending His righteous Son and us killing Him and torturing Him and Him still offering all of His holiness to us. And Him taking all of our badness and it being judged and wrath being poured out on the perfect one. That's not fair. And that's the only truest injustice that has ever happened in the world. And we call it the good news. Because now that God sees us, He sees us in righteousness if we accept it, if we receive His righteousness, if we recognize we don't have any goodness. God, these are all of my good efforts and good works trying to achieve heaven, trying to get right with You. And it's disgusting. 
And God said, I'll take care of it all, the whole thing. It's all on me. That's grace. Somebody say that's grace. And that's why we sing. And that's why we come to church because we desperately need grace. And we need to be reminded of grace again and again because we must be motivated by this. This great exchange leads us to hope in 2024. All things new.